Welcome back to More Than Words, a podcast about treating the whole child brought to you by the Reading and Language Learning Center. Last week, we were discussing parenting on the spectrum with Dr. Adams, and this week we are going to continue that discussion. So last week, we were talking about the challenges parents might face, how parents can approach the research regarding ASDs, and what strategies parents might use at home. So let's hop right into the middle of that question. We're talking about visual schedules. Another thing is a visual schedule. So on this communication central is my visual schedule. What is a visual schedule? Well, a calendar is not really a visual schedule. It's it sort of, it's a monthly schedule. It shows you right. what the days are organized, but it doesn't mm-hmm. tell you how individual days are organized. Okay, right, right. So um, most people nowadays have, um, they may use their calendar function on their phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and on that day, then I can put it um, podcast at nine o'clock. Right. <laughs> um, shopping at 10 o'clock or, right. you know, and lunch at el- and I can put all my appointments, all the things mm-hmm. that I need to do in that list. Um, when you're young, Young people, probably like like you, Tristan, because you are young, um, can probably remember all those things. <laughs> um, some of us need to write them down and reference them frequently. Right. <laughs> um, and parents, when you're stressed and and running around like crazy, you don't want to have to create something on the fly. So right. have that visual schedule handy. And the visual schedule um, for the child may be it may show them wake a picture you know, wake up, mm-hmm. wash your face, brush right. your teeth. Eat breakfast, then brush your teeth, I guess. Um, you know, get dressed. Maybe you want to do that before breakfast. I don't right. know. Um, but all those things that have to happen, and then we go to school, and then we come home from school, and then we play, and we have dinner, and we get bath, and we go to bed. So the visual schedule is all of the events of home. Right. Now, that's great if you're home. What if you're at school? Well, then I have a visual schedule for what's going to happen at school, too. Okay. Um, and that's a, that's a, a, a sub schedule. Right. I may not make that schedule. The teacher may make that schedule. Yeah. Um, but I can tell the teacher, you probably want to have a visual schedule. <laughs> exactly. My kid does really well with visual schedules. Right. You can even have mini schedules. I have an adult who has a mini schedule out by the washer and dryer. Oh. Because he's brilliant. He's amazingly brilliant. Yeah. He cannot wash his own clothes without a mini schedule. And this doesn't mean he's not smart. It means that the details of that are not important to him. They're not right. things that he stored away. He doesn't understand why you just can't put it all in the washer and put it on hot. Right. I said, because you're going to have pink clothes. Yes. <laughs> you know, you're going to have pink underwear. Yeah. And if that's what you want, great. That's fine. But if but... <laughs> not, yeah, if not, it's not so great. So he has a mini schedule right there by the dryer, the washer and dryer that gives him all those steps. Yeah. I have a young man that has a a mini schedule in the bathroom for brushing his teeth. Yeah. Because now he's older, he has to floss and they want him to use a dental rinse. So there was Mm -hmm. just more steps. But before that, he had one that was just about toothbrush, toothpaste, water, you know, the steps to do it. So um, visual schedules are a great support that parents can then utilize. They can be very flexible. Um, you may have a temporary visual schedule. That's what the whiteboard's for. So oh, maybe yeah. you've got something really crazy happening on Monday at home that you weren't expecting and your visual schedule. Oh, well, here, we'll just going to make a temporary schedule. Yeah. And you can make visual schedules with um, BoardMaker. That's a particular software that makes has different picture icons. And you okay. can put Velcro on the back and put a Velcro strip and change pictures that way. That gives you a lot of flexibility. Yeah. Um, you can do it with um, 
as I said, on an electronic device, if mm-hmm. you have an older um, child or young adult, maybe who needs to organize themselves and that's on their phone. Right. Um, and that, and that's typical. They always have their phone in their hands. No problem. Flip it over to check their schedule. Right. Um, to see, Oh, what am I doing next? Um, and so you don't have to, you don't have to go buy something. You don't have to go you know, buy a lab. There's not a visual schedule kit <laughs> that comes with all the pictures. You know, yeah. You can make, and if you don't have board maker software, there's clip art. Yes. Um, I've made visual schedules with the actual labels off of um, things. So we used for lunch, we used a, a picture of the kid's favorite lunch. Oh, yeah. And stuck that on there. Yeah. To represent lunch. Um, the a favorite rubber ducky was had Velcro stuck on it and it was stuck <laughs> on there to show bath time. Yeah. So sometimes you can use objects or found pictures. You can use photographs. Yeah. You, know, you you can just take, everybody's got a camera now. It seems like take a picture, print it out, stick a little, you know, laminate it. Mm-hmm. Lamination's your friend <laughs> um, because otherwise you may, your it may get destroyed. Right. It may work really well, but then get destroyed. Little Velcro on the back. Um, if you have a magnet board, you put a little magnet on the back. Ooh, but yeah. the idea then, the idea is that it's flexible because our schedules can change from day to day. Yeah, we might have had we've had to we had to make a stop on the way to school. You need to put that in the schedule right. for some kid. Yeah, uh, the minute you don't turn the way you're supposed to for school, what's happened? What? Why not Where turning? Going? Not turning? Why aren't right. you turning? I don't understand. Go to school. Go to school. Go to school. And that's not what you want to have happen on the no. way to school because then I arrive at school agitated. Yes. So you need to plan for those things. And sometimes I've had parents realize that they had to do an errand, so they pulled out a white. I tell them keep a whiteboard in the car. <laughs> Because then you're like, oh, look, it's a new schedule. <laughs> and, you know, you, you, your artistic skills get challenged. You write CBS, <laughs> like the, the, their um, icon from the store. Right. And you're like, see, that's what we have to go to CBS first. You know? <laughs> um, so that way, that's allowing the, the parent to have a lot of flexibility. We call it having a toolkit. And this is one of those things that goes in your toolkit. Visual yeah. schedules are your friend. Social stories are your friend. Right. Um, planning ahead. Like I said, get those clothes that we're going to wear to school out the night before. Right. Um, get the book bag by the door with everything in it. Yeah. The night before. Yes. Um, <laughs> that doesn't mean it's going to happen every time I recognize life happens, but, um, if you don't do that, then you may have the morning spent with a lot of chaos, chaos and turmoil that then right. sends a kid to school who's not in the good headspace for school. Exactly. I remember being at an elementary school and um, one of the the moms there had a child on the spectrum and um, he was getting ready. He had his, she brought him to the elementary school and then the bus would take him from there to middle school. Oh, okay. And so um, they were in the front office and he was there and he had gotten a smudge or something on his shorts Mm. and his uniform shorts. Yeah. So, and mom was kind of giving it to him. Oh, about this thing on a short and I'm standing there thinking, you know, I'm her friend, but I'm also the autism specialist. And I'm like, I said, do you really want to make an issue about this right now? Right. And she kind of looked at me, you know, for a minute and then she, her face softened and she's like, because she was going to get her frustration about the smudges out. Right. But she wasn't thinking that she was dumping it all on him. On him. And that mm-hmm. he was going to go over to sixth grade and 
not start out the day right. No. And she pulled it back immediately and she said, you know what? We got a washing machine at home. We'll just wash that when we get home. It is not a problem. I don't even know why I was worried about it. I'm just silly sometimes. (laughs) And he got on the bus and and I, I went and hugged her and she said that was so hard. I said, but it was so good. She said, I know I saw it. I saw his his countenance changed. Yeah. You know, the more she berated him, the the higher his shoulders got. Mm-hmm. He got tenser and tenser and his shoulders reared up. And then you could just see when she joked to them, the shoulders went down. He's like, oh, good. Yeah. Because I'm sure he was thinking, I thought we had a washing machine at home. But, <laughs> you know, but you don't say that to your mama when right. you're 12, you know, not a good thing. But um, but having all that ready and, and the morning is not the time to run around and try and get things squared away. No. The morning should be get up, do your thing. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Let's just go and have a good day of it. Um, but, oh, I mentioned um, trying to get the lunches made again. That can be a challenge. But at least if you're not going to have the lunches made, then have choices very readily available to be packed easily. Right. You don't want to have a debate about what we're having for lunch as we're trying to get out the door. No. <laughs> um, book bags. Okay. Uh, a preschooler's book bag is cute. Yes. A fifth or sixth grader's book bag is terrifying. <laughs> um, that's a black hole into which things go. Disappear. And, and I'm not reaching my hand in there for anything. No. <laughs> um, what I used to do when I was an autism specialist with the school system is I had a, um, a, a little cart with all kinds of supplies, um, school organizational supplies in it. Okay. Because... Um, the middle school sort of had a one size fits all notebook policy for oh. everybody. They had to have all of these things. And I said, eh, it's great for a kid, but not my kid. So they yeah. let me then go in and create a system that would work for the child. Cool. But I said, so the kid would come. I said, well, bring your book bag. And um, so the kid brings in the book bag and I said, okay, can you open it up for me and show me what's in there? And um, he unzipped it. And and when he unzipped it, the smell sort of hit me. Oh, Oh, there is something in the bottom of this book bag. It was fresh once and it's not anymore. (laughs) And I was like, I'm not sticking my hand in that. No. And he kind of was like, yeah, I don't want to either. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, well, we're going to dump it out on the floor. Okay. (laughs) So we did. And we found the apple that had gone in and never come out again. And at least it wasn't a banana because that could have been way worse. Yes. But, um, But book bags... Our book bags themselves are not an organizational system. Right. And if you've ever watched a kid open the book bag, shove the papers in and close the book bag and think, oh, crap. You're, yeah, that's your that's your homework's in there. So what do you have for homework? I don't know. Well, they don't know because it's all crammed in there. Yes. So um, for parents of older children, I encourage you to sit down and really, really work on an organizational system. And you have to meet with them weekly, sometimes daily, but yeah. at least weekly to make sure they're maintaining the system. Yeah. I've had parents say, I know he did his homework. I sat with him and watched him do his homework. I checked his homework. Yeah. I watched him put it in the book bag. I was like, yeah, it went in and it's not coming back out. No. Because when the teacher says, where's your homework? The kid goes, I don't know. <laughs> because he doesn't. He shoved right. it in there. So we create a folder that says homework. Yeah. You know, homework, homework. And so we teach that child, put the things where they go. And if they have a place to put them, they often will put them there. And the good news is, is that's, that's an organizational skill that serves you later in life. Yes. And so when teacher says, turn in your homework, I don't have to look into that black hole of a book bag and go, I don't know where it is. 
um, and and I, I said I heard that I would hear that all the time. I don't know where my homework is. Did you do it? Yep. Mama, check it. Yep. Did you put it in the book bag? Yep. I said then I guess it's in here. I don't know. Because again, they look at it and see the same black hole of despair that we do. Right. You know? So we kind of have to really say, okay, let's figure this out. Yeah. Um, so that's another way to organize um, their lives. Uh, let's see. I want parents to approach TV and technology in a manner that supports growth and maturation. Okay. That means if your child is consuming television, it should have some positive impact on their daily lives. Gotcha. Perhaps it's teaching them a lesson or a moral or an outcome. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to call out any particular cartoons, but there are several that lack those qualities. Yeah. (laughs) And they're often the ones that your child loves the most. Of course. So um, we have to be really careful with kids on the spectrum. Again, we alluded to this visual preference. Well, TV feeds that visual stuff. Oh yeah. Um, technology, tablets, pixelated content <laughs> um, is very attractive to many children on the spectrum. Uh, so we have to look at what they're consuming on television and making sure that it is supporting what our family long-term goals are. Right. And if in that cartoon, people are beating each other up, <laughs> we cannot be upset when our child supports Um, solves a problem by hitting their sibling. Right. Because they've been watching cartoons where that happens. Right. Um, I know, I get it. Kids, a lot of kids on the spectrum love superheroes. I like, who doesn't like a superhero? Who doesn't like superheroes? I mean, come on, they're superheroes. Right. But they also accomplish what they want, usually through power over another, Mm -hmm. asserting power over another. Now, Tell me the number of times that it's okay for a five-year-old to assert their power over another. No. (laughs) It's okay for their younger sibling to a degree. Right. Um, And maybe their peers to a degree. It's probably not acceptable to try and do it over an adult. Right. And kids on the spectrum don't often make distinctions about who the adult is in the relationship and who the child is in the relationship. Mm -hmm. They decide we're the same. Right. I view you. Whether you're 35 or five, I view the same. Okay. Well, we don't culturally. We view that very differently culturally. So make sure what your child is consuming on TV or through technology is going to support their growth and development and maturation. Right. If it's not, then turn it off. I had a mom who just sort of weaned her child off of TV. He was um, young. He's only about 18 months, but he was was avid TV watcher. Oof. And... She said, you know, we realized, I mean, it wasn't like he would beg for it, but if it was on anywhere, he's watching. Oh, yeah. And if he was watching, it was hard to get him to do anything else. Right. And so they did, um, had a couple days of some minor temper tantrums and then went on with their lives. And he is talking more and doing more and interacting more as a result. Yeah. So, um, again, I have nothing against technology. I think it's fabulous. I also know that kids to go up, need to go out in the yard and roll around in some grass and eat some yep. dirt and um, make some mud pies. <laughs> and if you can't do that, at least go out in your apartment complex somewhere yes. and do something messy or something, but do right. it outside. Because yeah. outside is a good place too. And we, our kids need more of that. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? Definitely. Very, very helpful. 
Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, my next question is a little bit different. So um, what's the difference between an IFSP and an IEP? And for um, parents who are listening, um, these are the beginning, the f- first couple of acronyms that you're going to have to <laughs> understand about, uh, understand when they are presented to you. The IFSP stands for Individualized Family Service Plan. Okay. So if a child is born with a diagnosable syndrome, for example, if a child is born with Down syndrome, they will be referred to a local agency um, to start getting support services at birth because we've got a diagnosed syndrome. We know what we're dealing with. Let's get some therapies in place to get this child on the trajectory, a positive trajectory early on. Right. So when they're referred to that agency, there has to be some governing document that says this is how we're going to meet your family's needs, your child Mm -hmm. and family's needs. So the IFSP is created by the team that has assessed and um, determined what the child's needs are along with the family. You never go into an IFSP and you should never go in and have someone hand you a document and say, here, we wrote this for your child, sign it. No, 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 no. That's against the law, first off against the law. Right. And secondly, it kind of violates the whole family spirit. Of it <laughs> right. Because I wasn't involved you yeah. know, as the family. So um, so the, the team evaluates the child, interacts with the child, they meet with the family and they work based on what the family's desires, strengths, needs, um, limitations, everything. You take yeah. all that into account and then you craft a plan that says these are the outcomes that we want to have for mm-hmm. this child. By the time this child's three, we want this child to be able to do this, 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 and this. Right. And I say three because the IFSP governs the child's um, therapies and service planning through age three. Okay. The birth to three. Once you turn 37 months of age, you're no longer eligible for an IFSP. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. So that, and that's in place as I said, to help the family meet their outcomes. So it can be as diverse as the child will be enrolled in speech therapy, you know, this with these kinds of desired outcomes. And we ask the family, what do you want your child to be able to to do with regard to communication? Right. Yeah. Ask for help. Ask for more. Tell me they want something to eat. Tell me they want something to drink. Those kinds of things. Um, And then we put the family's input. We take it very seriously. Now, if the family said, well, I want him to speak in complete sentences and he's, you know, one and a half, we're going to have to help them adjust their expectations. Say, excellent goal. Absolutely. Right now, can we make a sub goal that right. says he'll label common items in his environment or yeah. he'll label the action words, those kinds right. of things. So, um, but the parents have to have input. Sometimes the same document will say that the child will see a dentist. Huh? Um, and, you're, and as a speech pathologist, I'm thinking, I don't have anything to do with that. Well, I don't. The, the service coordinator, the person from the agency that is making sure everything happens and they're coordinating services for the family can say, um, here, we found a pediatric dentist. Um, they accept your insurance or they accept Medicaid. Right. Um, oh, you need transportation. Here's a, here's a taxi voucher. Oh, wow. So the service coordinator, their job is to make sure that everybody can actually meet the outcomes. Yeah. And that the plan is being implemented as written. And if it needs to be adjusted or, or amended, that that happens as well. Right. So that sustains the child through the first three years. Now, remember I said with a child with Down syndrome, the IFSP may be in place immediately after birth because right. that birth will be reported. Um, 
and statistically acknowledged and the family will be offered support services. A child with autism may not get diagnosed till they're, what did I say earlier? Three. So we right. may not even have an IFSP. Well, or we may have an IFSP, but not because they have a label of autism, but because they were showing global developmental delays or that they were um, had a significant communication deficit. Okay. Something like that. Then right. they may get an IFSP. Um, now, some children at the end of the IFSP, they've met all their outcomes. They're, um, we evaluate them and their performance on a, an evaluation is within normal limits. So we're like, okay, you're done. Go forth and prosper. And you know, <laughs> we send them on their way. But that doesn't always happen. Particularly if we know we had the child with the diagnosed syndrome, it doesn't just go away when you turn three. Well, right. what happens after you turn three? What happens? Well, now you have a transition plan. Part of the IFSP is a transition plan at age three to transition the child from those community services to public school services. Okay. Because once the child turns 37 months of age, they are then the responsibility of the local school system. Okay. Um, usually. Hmm. Now, I, I imagine there's some place where that's not at, that's not true. Right. Um, some kids don't usually actively get picked up by the schools until they're four because they don't have a pre-K program that starts until age four. Right. But technically, from the age of three, 37 months to till till they turn four, the schools were responsible for their special needs if they had any. Hmm. So we have the transition plan from the IFSP to what is called an IEP. IEP stands for Individualized Education Plan. Okay. And that is only the purview of the public schools. Okay. Your doctor cannot write an IEP. Your best friend who's a teacher cannot write an IEP. Right. Um, the public schools are responsible for the crafting and implementation of an IEP. Okay. And it is exactly what it is, an individualized education plan so that we don't get one size fits all. Oh, it's not like we, we say, oh, your child has autism. Well, we'll go to our giant cookbook and we'll go to the autism page and, oh, here's what your child needs. Blah, 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 blah. Right. We don't do that with children with Down syndrome either because Down syndrome has a spectrum of performance and ability. Right. So there's no one, you know, no cookbook anywhere to, to reference. So the, the family works with the schools and the school's job is not to make the child successful necessarily in the world, but help them be successful at school. Okay. So the, individual, the individualized education plan is going to be focused on school outcomes. Right. As it should be. And so that's going to be written again in conjunction with the family. You should never walk into an IEP meeting and have anybody hand you and say, here's your child's IEP, sign it. Absolutely illegal, not allowed. Now, will they have ideas of goals and outcomes in mind? Sure, they will. And they'll share that with the parent. But the parent's job is to say, that's fine with me. I'm not interested in that. Or to say, I don't want an IEP. And parents can reject that, an IEP. But the reality is, if you reject the IEP, the school cannot be held responsible for your child's, if your child isn't successful. Right. The IEP is a legal contract between you and the schools that says, this is how we're going to work together to get this to happen. Yeah. Um, And then there's a transition at the end of the IEP where we help um, when a a child can stay in special education services through age 21. Okay. They have graduated at at 18. Right. You know, the child may be eligible for graduation, but if they have sufficient special needs that requires longer education, they can stay in school till 21. But at either point, there needs to be a transition plan for how we're going to leave educational setting and go into the real world setting. Right. Um, whether that's um, into a, a 
some kind of um, controlled workshop environment Mm -hmm. or a regular job or whatever is going to happen. Right. Um, But both of those, those things are built into the existing documents, those transition plans. Okay. Age three. And then at the end of high school, essentially. Now there's something else that comes up another document and it's um, parents may hear it. It's called a 504 plan. Okay. Um, It shouldn't be an O it should be a zero five zero (laughs) four, but we don't call it that because we like to call it a 504 plan. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But um, it comes from, um, some legislation okay, and it's the number of the bill. I think it's Senate right. bill five zero four. Okay, But at any rate, it, there was a, there was legislation that said not everybody qualifies for an IEP. You don't okay. get an IEP just because you want one. You have to have test scores and a diagnosis and some challenge that says without intervention, you're not going to be successful at school. Okay. Now there are kids who don't, have the low test scores and don't meet the criteria to be placed with an IEP, but who still may need a little extra help. Right. They may need longer test time. Mm-hmm. They may need um, frequent breaks. They may need what we call an accommodation. Right. Something that we are going to grant this child, but not everybody else automatically. Right. Now, if everybody can do it, you don't need the 504 plan. Right. But if we're asking if the parent, this child needs something that we have to do, that's in addition to what we usually do for everybody that has to have a, um, an approved 504 plan. Right. And those are accommodations. And every place that I've ever worked, the state or the school system, both have a list of approved accommodations. Okay. Uh, because sometimes parents want an accommodation that we can't physically do. Right. You know, we, sorry, we can't do that. We appreciate what you're, where you come from. We can't do that. Right. Um, here are the approved accommodations. And what that is, is it's another legal document, but it's not to the same extent as the IEP, which is okay. actually going to say, we will do A, B, and C to get this specific outcome. The 504 right. plan says Johnny needs a half an hour more time. Right. To complete this. Yeah. But we're giving him a half an hour more time. Cool. That's it. We're not, nobody else is going to be in there reading to him. We're not going to be helping him. He's right. just, we're just going to extend his time. That kind of thing. Okay. Um, so those are the three documents that parents are likely to encounter. Right. Um, now, parents say, can I have an IEP and a 504 plan? We'll put the accommodations in the IEP. You shouldn't have to have a separate 504. Okay. All righty. Yeah. This is my last question, but it is a very good one. Um, so Asperger syndrome used to be its own diagnosis, but now it's under the umbrella, as we talked about, of ASD. Um, is it the easy type of ASD to deal with? I'm so glad you asked this question. No, it's not easy. Okay, now back off a little bit there, Lynn. That was a little aggressive. Okay. Um, people mistake um, what may look like a milder manifestation of the symptoms right. to mean that it's easier to deal with. Right. And it's all challenging, but it's right. challenging in different ways. Mm-hmm. If you have a child who has a very severe, what is called now level three autism, which is very severe, Mm -hmm. they require constant attention, monitoring, can't live independently, can't even probably function very independently. Mm -hmm. That is a huge challenge to deal with. Absolutely. That's a very different set of challenges for someone who may have um, testing that puts them in the average range intellectually. So therefore, if you're in the average range intellectually, I expect you to act like all of your peers. Right. Well, just because I have an average IQ score doesn't mean I'm like everybody else in that room. No. And they don't have the sensory challenges that I have. Right. 
So they're sitting over there with their little average IQ doing fine. And I'm sitting over here with mine going, I can't pay attention because the kid next to me is, you know, crumbling paper and it's making me nuts. Right. Um, Yeah. That kind of thing. So it, the manifestation is different, but by no means should we consider those who are on the mild end of the spectrum, what is now called level one autism Mm -hmm. spectrum disorder. We should not consider that to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. It can actually be very challenging for that person. If you think about it, I have average intellectual functioning. I can speak and communicate in sentences and I can get my needs met. How does everybody expect me to behave? Right. Like everybody else. Mm -hmm. But I don't because I process things differently Mm -hmm. and I react to those things differently. And if I don't process them, I may react negatively. Right. If my unmet sensory needs rear their head, I may react very poorly in that situation. So, and these, and children with, who have what we would have called Asperger syndrome are almost, not almost always, but very frequently in the regular education setting. Mm -hmm. They're in the classroom with their peers because they have the ability to do the academic work, the intellectual capacity to do that, but they still have challenges. Right. So if we set up an environment where their challenges can be easily met, then it could be an easy form. Right. But just because it's milder than perhaps the child who um, is nonverbal, engages in self-injurious behavior, and by self-injurious behavior, I don't mean just, you know, slapping our face. I mean a child who gnaws on their their hands (sighs) until they actually remove flesh. Oof. And you and I think about they're like, oh my heavens, oh goodness, why doesn't that hurt? Because that child's sensory system doesn't perceive pain the way yours and mine does. Right. Oh my goodness. So you can have somebody who's taking flesh off of their body, biting their hand to the point where they are removing flesh. Oh my. Now, is that hard to deal with? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Is that different than the kid who's who can't figure out how to navigate the social world of the classroom? Yes. Yes. Are they both challenging? Yes. Is one yeah. easier than the other? No. 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 One's not easier than the other. Um, one's more dramatic than the other. I agree. Right. But actually, I could probably deal with some of the self-injurious behaviors a little bit easier than I can with a child whose unmet sensory needs are rearing their head at school and nobody's helping him adjust to them. He's just getting punished. Right. Because we haven't realized, oh, you know what? He needs a sensory break. Yeah. He needs a sensory break. Well, oh my gosh, he needs a sensory break. Well, how are we going to do that? Everybody else is working. Oh, it's easy. Let him go out to the water fountain and walk back. That right. would be all the break he needs. Yeah. If he needs more, you, um, some kids with um, on the spectrum, particularly some of my level one kids or what we used to call Aspie type kids, mm-hmm. um, they do really well with heavy lifting. They need something to carry that's kind of heavy and it sort of challenges their body a little bit. Right. We had a kid, we had um, a milk crate that we put two or three encyclopedias in, Oh. you know, depending on the kid. (laughs) We might take one out, might put one back in. Yeah. And we'd say, oh, you know what? This needs to go to the library. Right. So can you walk it over to the library for me? And we'd take it over to the library and she would take one out or put one out and then walk it back. Yeah. The kid, as far as the child knew, they were doing something to help the teacher. Right. Which is great. Builds my self-esteem. Right. And we know we're giving them a heavy lifting sensory break. 
yeah. may allow them to come back to their desk and pay better attention yeah. and be able to participate more fully. Um, if your child's in the regular education classroom, as most children on the mild end of the spectrum will be, they may need some fidgets. Mm-hmm. And fidgets are those spinners, those squishy, squeezy thingies. Yeah. Um, they're those little pop games that are going around now. They're very popular, the little pop things. Um, all of those are what we call, in, in the biz here, we call those fidgets. <laughs> and um, I've had teachers say, oh, no, no, that's going to be distracting to the other children. Um, it's just not fair to them. And I'm like, it's not about fair. Right. It's about equitable. Yeah. We all need what we need to survive. Yep. To be successful. And if and if the kid next to him wants a spinner, then he may get it when he gets home. Or we may decide, you know what, having a little spinner is not the worst thing that ever happened. Right. In this classroom. So um, I and I'm not vilifying teachers, but I've heard that more than once. Yeah. No, no. Those are distracting to the other children. You know what? If you go around the room and ask the other children like he was what he had a what? Right. Oh, Oh, yeah, he has a spinner. He's happy when he has a spinner. Can yeah. he keep his spinner? Please exactly. let him keep his spinner. <laughs> <laughs> we had, I had a kid who, um, the substitute, a substitute teacher came in for about a week. And nobody had let her know that this kid needed to have this stuffed fish. Okay. He just had to have it. Yeah. So he's sitting at the ta- at his desk, playing with the stuffed fish and doing his thing with the fish. And she's like, no, put that away. And he was like, reluctantly, he did, you know, by the third day, she was getting frustrated because she had told him to put it away. Yeah. And and in teacher mind, I've told you this already. Why am I having to tell you this? But in, um, you know, he, she didn't recognize that he needed it when he, when he needed it, he pulled it out. Right. After about four days, he was, he kind of lost it. Yeah. He kind of lost it. And one of the kids went up and said, please let him have the fish. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> and I was just, oh my Lord, bless you, young child, for yeah. recognizing. They all knew that he needed the fish. Right. They didn't care if he had the fish. No. He was happy when he had the fish. Yeah. Please give him the fish. <laughs> and you know, out of the mouths of babes. There you go. So it was fascinating to see that the kids are not bothered by that. No. And sure, they all want to have a spinner and a funny thing. You know, so then if that's the case, then Give everybody a minute break. Okay, everybody, pull out your favorite thing. You yeah. got one minute, go. So everybody's sort of getting a taste of it. But our kid, my kid needs, has it and has access to it when he needs it. Right. Not when I decide he needs it, but when his performance, behavior, attention, his um, his affect tells me he needs it. Right. Because it's not about what I think he needs. It's about what he knows he, he needs mm-hmm. or he, he needs in that moment in time. Um, kids with Asperger's syndrome still need support. Yeah. Um, just because I'm very verbal doesn't mean that I can go about doing things independently. As I mentioned right. before, I've got kids that have many schedules for brushing their teeth. Mm-hmm. I'm plenty smart. You know, I'm double majoring in college. Right. I still need a mini schedule. And I, that's a kid. That's a kid I have. Yeah. You know, he's like, I just forget the toothpaste sometimes. <laughs> like, well, it's better than nothing, but let's do the toothpaste. And now he's just, and now they want me to floss. <laughs> let's make a mini schedule. And it's yeah. just a simple little list he's got right there. And you and I'm sure he probably doesn't even reference it as much anymore. Right. Because it's probably becoming a habit, but I would never take it away. Right. And that's a big mistake we make 
is that we establish visual schedules and supports and we say, you're doing so well. You're doing so great. Yeah. Let's take this away. No. No, the reason I'm doing so well and so great is because I have this thing. Yeah. And it's a, it's a story that a woman, I used to work out, live out in Missouri and a woman in Missouri taught me this. She said, think about it like this. Okay. She said, if I lose my leg, um, at first, I can't walk because I've lost my leg. Right. But then you give me a prosthesis. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I can't just walk with a prosthesis. I still have to have a walker. Right. So then I practice and now I graduate to crutches. Mm-hmm. And then I graduate and I have a cane. Mm-hmm. And now I graduate. I don't have anything but my prosthesis. Don't take my prosthesis. Right. <laughs> You know, I will always still need the thing. Exactly. I did not need all the other stuff, but I still need my prosthetic leg if you want me to walk. Right. And that was just one of those great, really uh, over, kind of over the top examples, but it was so perfect. Yeah. Because we forget that the reason you're walking successfully is because of the prosthesis. Right. So the reason our kids being successful is successful is because of their sensory um, schedule Mm -hmm. or, or what we call a sensory diet where we, we splatter sensory um, opportunities throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So they don't get that buildup of needing a sensory break to the point where it disrupts the class. Right. They're sprinkled through the day. We have their visual schedule. Right. And, and it's on the kid's desk and it's right there. And the teacher says, he never looks at it anymore. So I took it away. I said, what happened the day you took it the next day? He fell apart. Okay, let's figure out why that happened. <laughs> well, he knows the schedule. Yeah, he still needed it. Yes. He still needed it. Yeah. And um, one, one of the things that, I, and this is just an aside for the teachers. Um, this is a little you know, free gift with purchase here. <laughs> if, um, if you're going to have a visual schedule in your classroom, don't put the times next to it. Oh. Because my level one Aspie type kiddo will let you know that you oh, yeah. are over time. Right. <laughs> um, it's 817. <clears throat> it's 817. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we were supposed to start reading two minutes ago. It's now 8.18. We haven't started reading yet. <laughs> and people laughing like, well, kids don't do that. Oh, yeah, they do. Oh, yeah. I've been in the room with the kid. So if you're going to have a timed schedule printed, you have to follow it. Yeah. Or be prepared to be told you're late. I know. Thank you. Um, and right. don't think that if you say that to the child on Monday, I know I'm late. Thank you for telling me. Don't worry about it. That they're not going to tell you the same thing on Tuesday. Right. Um, it's kind of one of those things. Kids with um, on the spectrum often they'll learn the they'll get it in the moment, but they don't transfer that learning to mm-hmm. the next similar situation. Okay. So I'm going to tell you every time you're late. Right. Because I'm afraid you don't know. Right. So I'm just looking out for you. <laughs> but as you can imagine, a lot of teachers are not as happy about that. Right. As um, the child wants them to be. Exactly. So um, so just be careful about putting those, you know, putting those hard and fast schedules on there. <laughs> um, one of my one of my favorite, favorite kiddos that I worked with um, is was it has diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome. And um, he had a friend come over and spend the night with him. And he was telling us. And I had a group where we did social skill groups. Yeah. And um, he was there with four other of his, you know, favorite little Aspie friends. And they all hung out together. Great kids. And he said, you know, um, John came over to my house and 
And he doesn't even um, watch TV at his house. He doesn't even have a TV at his house. So he came over to spend the night with me and we have a TV. And so all he wanted to do was just watch TV. He just wanted to watch TV. You know, he was like a potato on the couch. <laughs> That's an idiom, you know? And I was like, oh, yes, baby, I know. If we're going to teach kids idioms, they have to use them right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's a whole chapter in my parenting book. It's called The Potato on the Couch because I love the fact that somebody tried to teach this kid idiomatic language. Yeah. And then he used it absolutely wrong. Right. <laughs> Beautifully, but wrong. You know, great, great kid, though. He was he was fabulous. I learned a lot from him. A yeah. A lot from him because he was this really, really, really high functioning kid, regular academic setting, needed a little help in math. I could totally relate to that. I don't <laughs> like math. So, right. So, but he could, he could do what he needed to do, but he still had these other challenges that um, would bring attention that might be less than positive. Right. If he'd said that to his peers, they probably would have laughed and teased him. I thought it was hilarious and it was fabulous. And I wrote it in my book because (laughs) it was just so funny. Yeah. Um, But um, he, and, and what that tells us, we have to remember the thing about Asperger's syndrome or level one autism is that. While this child may be very verbal, they may have limited um, understanding of words with multiple meanings. Right. So that just because I understand one meaning of the word doesn't mean that I understand the other meanings of it. So I may say something that doesn't seem to make sense, or I may not understand you because I don't understand that words have multiple meanings. Right. So on the surface, this kid has great language skill. But when we dig a little deeper, we find out he's got really limited meanings. Yeah. And so for the older child on the spectrum, um, with the level one um, autism, we really need to make sure that we are addressing that deeper language yeah. work with multiple meanings, with more complex utterances and that sort of thing. Right. Well, that also was super enlightening. I mean, this whole thing has been very helpful. I know that a lot of parents will listen to this and just be like, thank you. <laughs> They'll Aww. be so appreciative. Um Aww. Yeah. So if, well, thank you. Uh, well, thank you for being here. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Um, you wanted to throw in any, any extra tidbits? I think parents need to remember, um, you know how on the passenger side mirror in your car, it says objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Yes. That's kind of what life is like on the spectrum. Okay. It's life period, but it's definitely life on the spectrum. So I, I always tell parents, keep that in mind that school seems like it's a ways off. It's closer than it appears. Yeah. This next level that the child, that's closer than you think. Right. So just bear that in mind. And you're always looking forward. You're trying to plan forward, not to the point where you're losing out on today. Right. But remembering that these things are going to come up and I don't want to plan for them the day before or the right. week before. Some things need months of planning. Yes. Um, so being prepared and being flexible and knowing that if you do those things, you may have fewer challenges later on. Right. You know, just keeping um, keeping things consistent, be flexible, offer your child supports where they need it. Don't take away their supports when they get good at it. Right. And um, I, I, I wish them the very, very best. It's, um, it's probably going to be a challenge. It's mm-hmm. also going to be rewarding. Mm-hmm. It's going to be lovely. It's going to be ugly. <laughs> it's going to be happiness and it's going to be sorrow. Right. And I think that's true of parenting. 
Right. <laughs> I'm not positive, but I think that goes for parenting too. So. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Adams, for being on here a second time. This has been awesome. Um, and thank you all for listening. Don't forget to um, subscribe and leave us a little review. And thanks again for being here. <laughs>